One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Now, young Trish, imagine if you had. For the first time ever in your working life, a bit of a summer off due to a fluke of being between jobs. Yeah. And you could potter about and do anything. Mm. This is my husband's situation, Mr. Candy, between jobs. Oh, lucky, lucky James. Yes. Got a bit of time. I said to him, don't just do chores. Think of something exciting and wonderful to do. Broaden your mind. Go and have some fun. Do you know what he did that very minute? It's not to do with cars. It's not to do with... I I can't think. Go on. It's going to be something silly. Straight into the shed. Yeah. (laughs) Power washer. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Straight onto the street. Power wash the car. Yes. Yes. Then power wash the pavement in front of the house. Then power wash the patio in front of the house, blasting the snails across the... Oh, my goodness. No. Imagine if I said that to you, would you have gone into your little shed and got your power washer? No, I don't think that is, wouldn't have been top of my list. But um, I have to say, Neil is very partial to a power washer too. All that jet washing, the power, the cleaning, the power. I just worry he's going to take the paint off the car one of these days. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Lorraine Candy. And I'm Trish Halpin. If you're living in a hormonal hothouse, feeling a bit overwhelmed and in need of some positive, uplifting and comforting guidance on how to lead a more magnificent midlife, then this is the show for you. We chat to celebrities and experts on all things midlife, from menopause and perimenopause to parenting teens, via fashion, beauty, wellness, nutrition, fitness careers, relationships, caring for elderly relatives and your finances. Yes, we ask experts and famous guests all the questions you need answered to have a happier, healthier and more harmonious second act. Right, well, we hope you've all been coping with this unexpected June heatwave. I have to say, I'm not loving the return of the night sweats. It's a a rather unpleasant trip down pre-HRT memory lane for me. Uh, But at least this time, I know they'll subside once the kind of weather gets a bit cooler and a bit back to normal. But the good news is, Lorraine, you'll be pleased to know, I've managed to keep my Celtic blue skin from frazzling in the sunshine. I've been doing lots lots of slip, slap, slopping, as the uh, Australians like to say. You know what that is. You, You can go onto the beach in Australia, can't you, be sprayed. With lotion to stop in your slip, slap, slopping, can't you? Slip, slap, slop. Yep, exactly. Well, I've just gone out and made the most of the heat, Trish. I've just embraced all summer activities. Guess what I did last week? I joined my tribe. I went to a place where all my midlife women are. Well, I know it can't be swimming because you wouldn't be calling that out specifically. Which which event? Harry Styles. Oh, yes. (laughs) Of course. There we were, ordering pints of wine in plastic cups. <laughs> the poor man at the bar, he'd never seen, he just he just never had so much white wine and rosé ordered. Oh my God, because it's all the older ladies, the midlife ladies. You, and you didn't even go with the daughters, did you? 
No, they poo-pooed my obsession yeah. with Harry Styles. I just like the music. It's just really nice. Aww. And I, I like him in his little Andy Pandy glitter suit on stage, um, just being lovely, you know, yes. being just like a nice boy singing lovely songs. Yes, bopping along. But bopping uh, along, you're, yeah. you're not the only one, though, are you? Because in our midlife gang, a lot of them have been on a night out with old Hazza or young Hazza. Debbie posted on our Facebook group that she's um, so excited I'm 50, but I feel like a teenager going to see Harry Styles in Paris on Friday. OMG. She was very excited. Then Siobhan jumped in and said that she's 52, went to see him in Edinburgh on Saturday night with her daughter. All I can say is wow. And then Jennifer added, I saw him a year ago and sang and screamed as much as my 19-year-old daughter. It's a lot of love out there for Harry among the, the midlife ladies. We just like a good tune. Trish, we've got to that stage in life. Is it the tunes? We don't fancy him, do we? We just no, quite sort no. of adore him. We adore him. We, we, you know, we wish our boys turned into Harry, don't we? Yes. That's what we wish. And also, we've got to that stage in life where our parents used to say, but it's got no tune. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to listen to that awful rap music oh, that comes yes. out of their bedrooms. I like a bit of Harry. We're winning in many ways on the Facebook group at the moment because... This post was so exciting, wasn't it? Karen on the group, she posted uh, she was winning the 55 to 59-year-old age group category for the Lakesman Triathlon. How exciting is that? I know. It describes it on its website as the ultimate test of endurance set against the background of Cumbria's breathtaking natural beauty. What a woman. It Mm. looked lovely. Um, It was a bit uppy-downy, though. That's all I can say. Karen wrote, though, listen to this. The words are important. Apologies if this is slightly showing off. Why would it be showing off? That is such a Gen X thing to say. I'm so sorry I did a good thing. I'll never do it again. Yes. (laughs) She said, but yesterday I completed my fourth iron distance triathlon. That's like the maximum of each distance. Because I've done the little ones where you're only in the water for about 15 minutes. This is a proper swim, run, bike. And I only bloody won my age group, she says. But I think this is in keeping with the ethos of this Facebook group. We're not finished in our midlife. We've still got so much we can achieve. That's brilliant, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. I'm all for showing off, Trish. Yes. Well, we know that. It doesn't matter. No one's thinking about you or looking at you anyway, so you might as well talk about it because it makes you feel better. Yes. Well, I have to. I had to do a double take when I saw she posted a picture, Karen posted a picture of the trophy, the Lakesman trophy. Yeah. And it did point out that she'd done a 2.4-mile swim, a 112-mile bike ride, <laughs> and a full 26.2-mile marathon. I mean, I just need to sit down thinking about all that. It's quite exhausting, isn't it? But Lorraine, what do we like to do when we get a minute to sit down? I'd be worried about your sticky hips, Trish. (laughs) On a bike, up a hill. On a bike, all that, yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Uh, Well, when we're sitting Sitting down, down. we love a little bit of a a read, don't we? We like a good book. This is us professionally segueing into... A special episode, special episode that you like particularly, don't you, Trish? This is our book club episode. Yes. I'm very excited because I am a huge fan of the writing of our special guest today. Catherine Heine will be joining us shortly all the way from Maryland in the US of A to talk about her new book of short stories called Games and Rituals. We all know her from her novel Standard Deviation, which was so funny, wasn't it? And I believe I recommended that one to you, Trish. You did, actually. When I was looking for a little book to read, I can't remember if it was last summer or the summer before, 
But I absolutely loved it. And it was about a couple in New York, wasn't it, raising their 10-year-old son who has Asperger's. But it's just so clever and funny and witty. Her character's brilliantly uh, written. She's just a genius. So we're very excited, uh, as we say, to meet Catherine. And um, after we've chatted to her, we have the third part of our travel special in partnership with Sordays. We're going to be sharing ideas for the type of holidays that you told us in our survey that you love to go on in midlife. Um, the kind of keeping everyone happy holidays, big celebrations, going solo, girls getaways. We've worked out how to say them this week, haven't we, Trish? <laughs> I don't know that we have, but we'll no. try our best. <laughs> Pronouncing places in um, France, Spain. We've got some Welsh ones coming up. Oh, my God. I can say <laughs> Be prepared. Stand by. Stand by. Stand by your beds. Anyone from Wales, we're very, very sorry in advance. Now, talking of girls' getaways, Harriet sent us an email to tell us how much she enjoyed hearing about our little trip to Brighton a few weeks ago when we potted off, didn't we? A little bit of seaside. Um, She says, I love listening to your trip down memory lane in Brighton. I went to school in sixth form there and certainly remember clubbing in the Zap Club, just like you, Trish, along with the hungry years. And I'm sure there was one called Escape. My memory is a bit iffy. The Escape? Definitely there was, Harriet. You were right. Yes. Well, she says, you're so right about midlife women wanting to do more holidays with friends. I have booked a little walking jolly in Austria with another Brighton school Mm. friend to relive our youth from a visit there 30 plus years ago. Well, I want to see some photos of that, Harriet. So please pop them on the Facebook group. You say Austria, I think Lederhosen. Hosen, oh, I just think she's leather started. shorts. Leather shorts. I think that's a bit of a stereotype. That's a bit like thinking all Brits wear bowler hats or beef eater hats. Oh, I just think of the fashion of every country that's ever mentioned. Okay. It's always the first thing that comes to mind. Right. I think, oh, what would the clothes be there? But Leather Lederhosen. Yeah. Leather Lederhosen. How nice. Anyway, Harriet might like some of our book club recommendations in between all the hiking when she's yeah. sort of sitting down and nursing her blistered feet or whatever. Aperol spritz. Having an Aperol spritz in the Austrian highlands. Exactly. They have highlands. Anyway, do you want to kick off with a little book, Lorraine? I do. So this is book club recommendation yes. number one. This is a book called The Dog of the North by Elizabeth Mackenzie. It's very, very funny. So Penny Rush, marriage is over. She's in America. It's set in America. <laughs> but her parents, the background to this is that her parents have disappeared in the outback under very strange circumstances. They've been missing a very long time. But in their absence, she has to look after her grandmother, who's a very, very strange character, but she's a very well-known doctor in America. And she's incredibly bossy. Her grandmother's accountant has also been trying to look after this very, very bossy woman as well. And in doing so, it gets all tangled up in a kind of... I don't know if you've watched Poker Face on Sky TV. I haven't yet. No, is it good? It's a bit of a funny murder mystery where the the woman's got a a, a special power where she can tell while someone's telling lies. And the stories are so strange and so odd, Uh but still believable. And this is a similar thing. So poor old Penny borrows a a van from the grandma's accountant who's still trying. And then a series of events happen where they find bones in her grandmother's garden, which are linked to her her medical work. Oh, my goodness. And this van is called the Dog of the North. Oh, okay. I was wondering where the dog came in, but now we know. (laughs) She then goes to Australia to try and find out, and she does find out exactly what happened to her parents. It's just 
really surprising, really witty. It's one of those books, it's a proper page turner, you think, oh my goodness, but the characters are so well formed. Oh, what do we know about Elizabeth Mackenzie then? She's an American writer. Yes, she is an American writer. She writes for The Atlantic um, and she writes, she has written short stories as well. So she's kind of a journalist writer. Yeah. It says on the back here that the portable Veblen um, was a finalist for the Women's Prize as well. So, and it was long listed for a uh, National Book Award. Oh, okay. Well, I'm glad to have discovered a new, a new female writer. That's brilliant. It's really funny. You will like it. Elizabeth Mackenzie, what have you got for me? I think I'm going to start with a sort of autobiography by Suzanne Hayward. Have you heard of this one? It's called Wave Walker Breaking Free. It's been out for a few months and she's written a few pieces. I mean, it's almost like you could not make this story up. So um, Suzanne, when Suzanne was a child, her father, it was 1976, she was about seven years old and her father decided that he wanted to mark the 200th anniversary of Captain Cook's third voyage. <laughs> not something every father's want to do and decided they were going to buy a boat. There was the mum, the dad, uh, Suzanne and her younger brother, and they were going to set off and do this journey. But they ended up spending the next decade circumnavigating the globe. And these kids just didn't want to do it. It was really dangerous for them. It was lonely. It was isolated. They weren't being educated. This book really explores her relationship with her parents and what happened and why it happened. And you know, seeing it from an adult's point of view of what they did to her and her brother as children, really, you know, they... Um, it was very dangerous, wasn't it? I read a piece about it. They were, she was ba- ba- quite badly injured in one of the places as well, wasn't she? She was injured and they were in, they were in some remote island, I, I can't remember where, where there was some French scientists, that was it. And the medic there, she had a sort of uh, potential brain damage from this thing that had fallen on her head during a big storm and she had to have treatment with no anaesthetic... And then this was remarkable. They ended up in New Zealand and the parents just abandoned them. And she had to look after the younger brother. brother, She's about 15 or 16 on their own in this remote part of New Zealand. I mean, it is such a remarkable story, but she's a fascinating woman who's gone on to like, she's had an incredible, because she ended up at Cambridge despite, you know, the lack of education and um, became a big powerhouse in business. So I just love that story. It's got all the sailing. It's got our sort of childhoods in the 70s. And it's, it's got, amazing, uh, isn't it, Trish? Because I can't get mine to go on a walk, <laughs> let alone travel the world. Well, I mean, in it's a tiny this, boat. Yes. Her father described himself as a benevolent dictator. You know, all the decisions <laughs> were his. So, you know, they. I don't think they were, there was no chance of them having any say really in what was going on. But Anyway, I just think a fascinating, remarkable story. So that's that's my first one. Now, people may have read this one, but I absolutely loved it. Um, I was it came to me. The universe gave it to me because I read a review of it. It's Lessons yes. in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. Yes, that was really big last year, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes. So I read a review of it and I thought, oh, I can't buy another book because it's a ridiculous addiction. I have so many, you know, so many. After I judged the Women's Prize, I've still got seventy books here in the study. I was walking past Oxfam. It was in the window for £6. Oh, there we go. So I thought I will get it and I read it and I loved it. Loved, loved, loved it. So Bonnie Garmus was a copywriter, advertising copywriter. And she worked in, she wrote in technology, medicine, education. Um, And this is her first novel. It was a bestseller upon publication. It's the story of Elizabeth Zott. These are slightly neurodiverse, the characters in this Mm. book. They're absolutely brilliant geniuses, academic geniuses. And Elizabeth Sott was a brilliant chemist. 
at a time when you couldn't really be a brilliant chemist as a woman. Militant, Millie, she would love this book. It really <laughs> highlights the sexism of the late 50s and early 60s and how women were treated like secretaries. Um, famous chemists had their work stolen by men around them. So mm. it goes into all of that. And then um, she meets, obviously, a genius chemist, falls in love with him. Something happens um, and she has to carry on on her own uh, with her daughter. And she gets spotted by a dad who works at a TV station to do a cookery show because she's made something and she says cookery is just chemistry, which made me think maybe I could cook if someone explained it to me more in those terms. Oh, because you've got the scientific approach, breaking down the chains of proteins and the whatnots. Well, it's all, yeah, if I knew that, I might be more interested in it. And her, her show becomes very, very famous but it's lots of other characters are woven Mm. through it it's a classically good beginning middle end story (laughs) which is also quite funny it's got a very lovable dog in it as well and there are some odd things that happen i just was completely enwrapped by it so i just couldn't put it down i just found it really lovely easy read and it made me think about things as well it made me think about how women are treated still in the industries they work in particularly in science it came out just when we realized uh, that report in the times came out on female surgeons and the awful treatment they get at the hands of male surgeons because there's so many more male surgeons than female surgeons well i can tell you a fascinating fact that i learned when i was at the asian women of achievement awards because i was a judge for that the other week only one percent of consultant surgeons in the uk are women one percent of consultant surgeons that's a whole other episode for us, Lorraine. We'll, we'll go there. We'll go there. But I think this all ties into it. But it's a great, great summer read. If you haven't read it, definitely read Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. What have you got now? I've gone back to one that I've, um, well, a writer, didn't know this book was out. How did I miss it? By Celeste Ng. Yeah. You know who did um, Little Fires Everywhere? Yes. Which was turned into that brilliant TV show, Our Missing Hearts. Oh, I like the sound of this. I do not know it. Well, it's all about, it's quite unusual. It's a dystopian set slightly in the future in America where, you know how everything's gone a bit crazy in America with obviously the rollback of everything, abortion laws, the banning of books in Florida, anything to do with LGBT, all of that stuff that's happening, the quite anti-Asian stuff after COVID. It's kind of that evolved Mm. essentially over the next few years. And it's about this little boy who grows up with his father is um, white American and his mother is Asian American. And the mother has disappeared. And as I said, the father's had to take this more lowly job because of his situation. The mother... Mother was kind of, I think, reacting against or fighting against a lot of the kind of stuff that was happening through her writing and poetry. So she's had to disappear. And essentially, it's about this little boy's journey to find and reconnect with his mother in this awful kind of world where there's, you know, lots of attacks on racial minorities, lots of enforced patriotism, all of that kind of thing. It's quite a scary dystopian but you know, in 10 years' time, we might be looking at this and thinking, well, actually, in some parts of the world, this is still really happening. So I think apparently the review, I haven't read it yet, but the reviews are like, it's quite different to Little Fires Everywhere, which was, you know, so much character and dialogue. And this is a little bit more ideas and a little bit off the wall dystopian thing. But I quite like the sound of that one. Shall I be getting that for you for your next walking trip in the Austrian Alps? (laughs) Yes, no? exactly. When I've gone looking for Harriet on her walking trip in the Austrian Alps. Let me bring you something that I was 
little bit disappointed in. I don't know if I can say Ooh. it out loud because I'm such a fan of Deborah Levy. Yes. So I was beside myself when uh, new novel August Blue coming out and I love the, the idea of it, a pianist at the end of her career, finding a new way. Yeah. And everything she writes is so beautifully written. Mm. I mean, there's no, there's no, you can't dispute that. But I don't know. I read August Blue. You don't like it. Well, I liked it because, of course, I like it. I, but you I didn't just think love it. I didn't. Yes, as Craig would say, I didn't love it. No. Oh, yes. That's always disappointing, isn't it? When your favourite writers, can you pinpoint what it is? Didn't really come to a conclusion. And I wonder, though, and I'm going to posit this theory for you, Trish, because I'd read two books that were very specific, beginning, middle, end, Mm, mm. and then read this, maybe I was thinking, well, I don't, I'm I'm not sure. I mean, I wouldn't not read it. It was a a lovely read. And it is, is, Uh. you you know, it's a a woman who, at the height of her career, a former child prodigy, she's in her 30s, just walks off the stage during a performance in Vienna. And what had happened when she was little is she'd been sort of adopted by this amazing piano teacher and she has been in and out of his life and she goes to look after him in Greece as he's uh, ageing. It's very evocative and it's a bit, it's quite like hot milk. It's, you know, you get that hot country, that all of that kind of, mm, mm. you get a sort of slightly bizarre twist of events as well. And you can't stop reading. It's magical in the reading of but I don't know. It wasn't my favourite, Deborah Levy. So I'm just popping that there controversially. Controversial. But maybe go back mm. to the other ones because they are brilliant. We love those. I've got one quick one to finish, which is my audiobook that I've just started listening to, which um, is Trespasses. When do you listen to audio books, Trish? When I'm doing my walk active and then when I'm cooking, I like to have an audiobook on while I'm cooking. Oh, I see. Right. Oh, that's a new little thought for me. Yes, exactly. And then driving in the car, if I'm driving somewhere, I think the audiobook helps with the cooking situation. But this is called Trespasses by Louise Kennedy. Actually, it was on the Women's Prize shortlist, which we should say was won last week, the week before, by Demon Copperhead, Barbara Kingsolver, which was one of my recommendations in the last book club. I am... Nearly at the end of it. It's haunting me. It's one of the best books I've ever read. It's amazing. It's amazing. Oh, my God. It's so, it's genius and a well-deserved winner of the Women's Prize. But Trespasses on the shortlist, Louise Kennedy. And I decided to go for the audio books. It's read by Breege Brennan, who is a, an Irish actress who you will know if you see saw her. She's very, very familiar and um, beautiful voice. And just hearing her read this story about that's set in 1975 in Belfast. Louise Kennedy is Irish, isn't she? She is Irish. Yeah. I think she's from Sligo, but this is actually set in Belfast. Yeah, set in 70, 1975. And it's about this young woman who's an English teacher who's a Catholic, and she meets a Protestant married man who is a barrister or lawyer who defends young Catholic men sort of caught up in IRA stuff and all of that. It's just sort of right up my street. It's it's quite interesting because I've only just started it. So I love the narration. So I think when you get a really good actress... Yes. Can I tell you, when I first saw Breege Brennan was back in 1976, probably about 1976, maybe 1980. She was in a play for today with Kenneth Branagh. It was one of the first ones. Is it Sir Ken? Sir Ken, when he was properly Northern Irish. Of course, he is Northern Irish, but he had the Northern Irish accent and everything. Right. Because I was called Too Late to Talk to Billy. 
always remember that one, quite moved by that, about the troubles. Anyway, that's my uh, third one, which um, I think will be a lovely little audio listen for me. I'm going to drop in two quick ones, two quick ones to remember. Laurie Colwyn, 1970s writer, uh, who was a cookery writer, who I discovered in my research around Catherine Heine. I think it's worth checking out her books. Mm -hmm. And it is 50 years of the feminist press Virago this month and their collection of short stories. Furies is out to celebrate that. Um, So there we are. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. She's the author whose nuanced, witty, uplifting and breathtaking prose is addictive to read. A writer whose clever novels keep you up late into the night as you slip into the loves and lives of her well-crafted characters. It's time to meet Catherine Heine. Trish and I like to think of her as our Nora Ephron. Her two much-loved novels, Early Morning Riser and Standard Deviation, blew our socks off when they first came out. And she's about to make your book club even more exciting with her latest work, a critically acclaimed collection of short stories called Games and Rituals, which is out now. The Guardian praised its deadpan delivery, bittersweet wisdom and sublime farce. And the book is perfectly timed for today's short story, Renaissance. Lena Dunham said of Catherine's writing, Heine's work does something magical. It gives women's interior lives the gravity they so richly deserve and makes you laugh along the way. Married to a former MI6 agent, Ian, Catherine Heine has two sons, Hector, 23, and Angus, 20 and has lived across the globe, including in London in the 90s and again in 2004. We'll be chatting to Catherine, 56, at her home in Maryland, USA, about finding career success in her mid-40s, coping with an empty nest, and the recent loss of her beloved parents. So welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Catherine. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We're quite big fans of yours and uh, very jealous of this ability to be funny. I know our listeners will be familiar with your work and your characters, but they might not be familiar with you and your own life. So you found success, as it were, in midlife, but we'd like to take you back to the start. Your parents were scientists, uh, as are your two brothers, but they realised fairly soon, didn't they, that you were a bit different and they would say, she can't do maths. Why can't she do maths? Because you grew up in a very science-based community as well, didn't you? T- take us back to that time. 
I grew up in Midland, Michigan, which is the headquarters of the Dow Chemical Company. So everybody in the town is a scientist. My dad's also a mathematician. And I always struggled with math. And my dad thought my lack of mathematical ability was caused by something other than a lack of mathematical ability. Like he skipped the first and second grade and graduated from high school when he was 15. He was like, I think you're just, you're too smart and the math classes are boring for you. And I was like, dad, really not the problem. Very flattering, but that's not the problem. And when we were choosing the cover for my first novel, Standard Deviation, I sent some possibilities to my dad and he said that they looked like math textbooks and would be therefore very exciting to readers and the general public. And so we wound up sending him every cover until there was one he didn't like, and that's (laughs) the one we went with. But I did grow up in a house where reading was very, very valued. Everybody was reading all the time. And then where did you go to school and uh, education after school? What kind of teenager were you? I was a pretty nerdy teenager. I read all the time. And when my best friend left for college, because she was a year older than me, I wrote her letters, but they would always be in the forms of plays or poems or like a pretend newspaper article. I'm sure she was just like, write me a letter. You don't have to write a short story. And then I went to the University of Kansas because my dad had gone there and he wanted one of his kids to go there. So I went to the University of Kansas to major in English with the idea of going on to law school. And then I just took like every creative writing class I could get my hands on. And my dad had said that he would pay for me to go to law school or if I could get into one of the top two creative writing schools, which were Iowa and Columbia at that time. And then I got into Columbia. They accepted me into the poetry program, um, but they said I could switch to fiction. I got a degree in both. And then writing professionally, how did that start? I published my first short story while I was still in grad school in The New Yorker. Well, it was a huge thing, wasn't it? Because they accepted it and they rang you the next day. And that's unheard of, isn't it? New I didn't even know the mail worked that fast, let alone (laughs) they were reading the slush pile that fast. No. And I still remember the call was on a Friday morning and it was this man with a deep voice. And I thought it was a landlord because we were behind on the rent. And he said, is Catherine Heine there? And I was like, no, she's she's gone for the weekend. Sorry. (laughs) And he was like, well, this is Roger Angel from The New Yorker. And I was like, it's me. It's me. And I think that cemented my reputation as kind of a ninny for like all eternity. But it was still, it was really exciting. And then after I graduated from grad school, I worked as an office temp for a couple of years. And then I had a story in 17 and an editor who worked for the company that did Sweet Valley High, all those books, they offered me a contract to write a young adult book. And so that's what I did for maybe the next five years. And it taught me a lot. So short story is we've talked earlier actually in the show about standard deviation, which we both absolutely adored. But we have to talk now about games and rituals because, again, a collection of short stories, they're amazing. The characters, the ideas, the experiences. Is a lot of it rooted in your own life and little daily experiences and things that you see, you overhear, 
usually a story starts from some some very small real life incident. A friend of mine is very disorganized. She's not a hoarder, but her house is very cluttered. And she bought that Marie Kondo book. And then she lost the book in the clutter of her house, which I found really ironic and great. And I bought the book. So I was doing, you know, it was right at the time where everybody was Marie Kondoing their house. And my husband said, because I was constantly giving stuff to Goodwill. And he said, you know, am I next? Am I going to go to Goodwill for not sparking joy in you? And I was like, you're going nowhere because you give me these great lines. How could I ever, like you spark so much joy. So I, that's why I wrote the Marie Kondo story. I mean, it focuses a lot on domestic life and relationships, doesn't it? It's a kind of breathtaking characters, some of them. I think maybe the best thing uh, would be is if you could read uh, something for us from the book. We always ask authors to do this, and it's always such a privilege to hear a writer read. And I, I thought maybe Twist and Shout, because it's, I think a lot of our listeners who've got older parents, and we are deep in, I mean, I spend a lot of time talking to the top of my dad's head on FaceTime and explaining <laughs> words that he shouldn't be using anymore and things like that. Do you want to just read the first two pages of Twist and Shout for us? Because it's very funny, and I think we'll identify with it. Sure. Your elderly father has mistaken his $4,000 hearing aid for a cashew and eaten it. This simple event contains multitudes, sorrow and entitlement and love and annoyance. It also contains the four separate appointments you made and took him to in order to get the hearing aid in the first place. He's not even supposed to be eating cashews. He has high blood pressure. You call him, dutiful daughter that you are, and say, don't worry, although honestly he doesn't seem all that worried. You say, I'll come take care of it. What? Your father says, I'll come take care of it. What? Your father says, I'll come take care of your fucking mistake. He can't hear you anyway. It just makes us think about the kind of constant pressure we're under to look after our parents and just this interaction of the generations. Now, you sadly lost your dad because that was based on him, wasn't he? He ate his hearing aid, didn't he? Well, he crunched it up and spit it out. Everybody was like, does he have to go to a doctor? And I was like, no, he spit it out. You, you lost your dad at the beginning of the pandemic. And um, you also lost your mum, Suzanne, after a long illness. She suffered from Lewy body dementia. So for those listening and facing similar situations, what were the life lessons you learned through that time do you think people would find helpful to hear? Well, I think the main thing is that they're not alone. I wrote a piece for The Guardian about my mom's dementia. Mm, it's amazing. Yeah. And I got hundreds of emails from people saying that they hadn't read something like that and wanting to tell me their experience. And to all of them, I said, you're not alone. And I think when you're caring for someone with dementia, it feels like the world shrinks right down to this little bubble where it's just you and the person and maybe like a caregiver pops in there occasionally. But I think isolation is one of the hardest parts. And just knowing that you're not alone is really helpful. And I also think if you're caring for somebody deep in dementia, then do things with them that you like to do. Like my brothers would always feed my mom. And I found that very upsetting. And when I made the decision of like, no, I want to read to her. I want to play music and, you know, rub her hands and stuff. That became a lot easier for me. So sort of make the decision about what you can handle 
and go forward like that. We have to ask you a little bit more about this gem of a husband of yours who's feeding you all these great lines because he's a Brit, isn't he? And you, you've you actually lived over here in the UK with uh, Ian and had your sons here. What was it like living in the UK? We moved there the first time when I was 29 and I had never lived abroad and I thought it was going to be New York with British accents. And it's really like a foreign country where they happen to speak English. Like the culture shock was greater than I had anticipated. But London is really, it's one of my favorite cities. The week that we moved there, I read Bridget Jones' diary and High Fidelity back to back. And I was like, okay, this is the greatest place in the world. So many of my favorite writers are British. It really shaped me as a writer. It really made me decide what kind of books I wanted to write. I love London. And that was really where like my writing life sort of came alive in the first place. Now, you two boys, Hector and Angus, they've both left home now. And family life, I guess, was beginning to change around the time that you were beginning to become successful. So I, it's sort of your, your midlife. When you look at your career, do you think you could have written those books earlier on in your life or not? Did you have to have that experience for Standard Deviation and The Morning Riser? I think that I had to have the experience And well, I stopped writing young adult books. And then without that structure and the deadlines, my productivity declined. And then I had children. I found having children to be really, maybe they're high energy children and I'm a low energy person, but I found like that took everything I had. It wasn't like I was writing while they took a nap. I totally could have, but I usually took a nap when they took a nap. So I really began writing when my younger son was in first grade and I had like a bigger chunk of time. Was midlife the time when you felt you had the experience to create the characters like Audra and, and those characters you create, they are very grown up and rounded, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. I'm not a fan of the aging process in general. My new collection, there's a story about a girl who wears a bridesmaid's dress to her temp job, which is something that I did because of laundry. laundry crisis, the hangover error. I wore this dress to a temp job that was at a bank and where I'd never been before. I'm sure they called the agency and were like, don't send the girl in the prom dress again. <laughs> but that was a story that like, I dined out on for 30 years before I ever wrote a short story about it. So I do think the older you get, the more experiences you have and the more stuff you can you can draw on. You mentioned you're not loving the aging process. This is something we ask all of our guests about kind of midlife, um, the kind of transitions, uh, perimenopause, menopause. I, really, I don't know whether you're aware that here in the UK, it's a really big part of the national conversation now. Whereas three years ago, nobody talked about menopause. None of us knew we were going through with it. And now it, that's really changed. Talking to people in America, we feel that's not the case, or maybe it's getting better. What, what's your feeling about that? I would say it's getting better but it's not there yet. I don't think I was super prepared for it. And I know people who were even less prepared. I remember I was doing an event in Minneapolis and afterward at the signing, this woman was like, you know, I was just like watching your face before the event and I didn't think you were going to be funny. And I was like, I'm in perimenopause. That's my face. That's what I look like now. It's not it's not happy. Around the same time, my cousin, 
went to the doctor and he gave her this checklist of menopause symptoms that was like 34 things long. And we went through it together. And when we got to the end, we're like, well, we're not incontinent, but everything else (laughs) we're, we're experiencing. And that was really surprising to me because I would have said like, oh, I'm a little irritable and hot flashes, but there's all these other things. And it really helps, I think, to know there's a cause. But the main thing for me is that my migraines got a lot worse. Like I've had migraines since I was 22. There's a big family history of it. Um, But I went from having like one every couple of months to having like four per week. But I don't know, three weeks ago, I had this very intense like six-day migraine that was so terrible. I couldn't even tell you. So yeah, it, it has really rocked my world in a lot of ways. And I have a lot of word retrieval problems when I'm talking, but not when I'm writing. I think my writing, my brain is hardwired enough to skip over that. But yeah, it's rough. It derails women. You know, it's a really, it's a big thing. But you're, you were in a house of, of boys as well, I guess, because you've got your husband, your two sons. You're also going through that empty nest. So how, how did you deal with all of that emotionally? What were you thinking every day? Because, you know, my mental health just collapsed around me um, at about 47. And it was such a shock. I think maybe it had, like, I thought about it more before 2020 when, like, the whole world collapsed. And then, you know, it was just sort of paled a little bit. We became empty nesters in October when my older son left for the army. But we spent so much time thinking about him and what he would be doing and when he might get to call us that I don't think we really felt like empty nesters. I think we he occupied a larger part of our thinking time than he did when he lived in the house. So I think that becoming an empty nester is actually a gradual process. Everybody's mm-hmm. like, boom, the kid leaves for college and you're empty nesters. But for a long time, we just felt like, oh, those are their rooms. They'll be back to live in their rooms. And it's only sort of dawning on us that like they won't. So I found it to be a more gradual process and... My husband has always traveled a lot for work, and I always felt like I was somebody who needed a fair amount of alone time, so that worked for both of us. But then during the pandemic, when we were together all the time, now when he travels, I'm like, what'd you have for lunch? Like, I want to know every, like, like, what time did you get there? How did you feel? (laughs) So it's weird that like being together constantly made us want to be together even more. I do know couples that had the opposite experience <laughs> during during lockdown, but that was that was our experience. He's worked for MI6, isn't he? And he was a I guess he was a spy. I guess that's what you'd say, isn't it? How exciting is that? Was it like being married to James Bond? A little bit. I was always <laughs> really afraid that I was gonna get drunk and tell someone at a party. Which... Oh, we're just so worried. That's exactly what I would do. Well, and my husband is like, you weren't the only one who was worried about you doing that. And I was like, oh, I know. He was under death threat for the first 10 years of our married life. And then the KGB sent word that they were over it. I'm like, are we in high school? They're over it. But they were. So he won't let us have Alexa or Siri. He's like, yeah, right. I want a microphone in the house. You think I want that? So... It was very exciting. And I remember when he told me after we'd been dating like six weeks, he said, I have to tell you, I'm not really just a diplomat. I also work for MI6. And I was like, 
what's that? And he was like, you know, MI6. I was like, I just said, I don't know what that is. I think he married me because I was not impressed. My ignorance kept me from being impressed. Where did you meet? We met in a bar. And he was wearing a tuxedo because he'd come from the ambassador's Christmas party. And I wanted to talk to him. So I said, what do you do? And he said, what do you think I do? And I said, well, you look like a Secret Service agent. And I nearly gave him a heart attack by being so on point. But I don't think that on paper, Ian and I make a lot of sense, but we really work. One of the things that comes up a lot in our community, we have a private Facebook group attached to our podcast, is this sense of relationships as women age and and this kind of infidelity as well and the breaking up of relationships. As a writer, you must be looking at themes. What, What are you seeing around women in midlife? Well, I was reading a book on a plane a couple of weeks ago called This Story Will Change by Elizabeth Crane. And The main character is a woman in her 50s, and she thinks she wants everyone, all men, to be sexually attracted to her the same way she wants to be invited to more parties and not go. And that was like, I started laughing on the play because that seemed to be really honest and really good. We've heard that you're a bit of a true crime fan. Any thrillers that you would love to recommend? Fatal Vision? by Joe McGinnis is just a masterpiece. So, so good. And there's a podcast called Cold Case Murder Mysteries. Oh, I like that. You like it? I like the sound of it. I like the sound. Oh, because everybody I've made listen to it hates it. So I'm like, why am I the only person that likes this? Also, I was trying to get my brother to listen to it. And I was like, it's called Cold Case Murder Mysteries. And it's about Old case murder mysteries. My brother was like, thanks for clearing that up. I was wondering. Summer reading, um, holidays being planned, um, obviously a great time for reading. What three books would you take on your summer holiday? Are you going on one, in fact, and where are you going? We are going to upstate New York because, well, it's a beautiful area, but also because trying to get me a little out of the heat might be better for my migraines. But I really enjoyed the book I was talking about earlier, This Story Will Change by Elizabeth Crane, which is a kind of messy divorce memoir. And then this was a big book a few years ago, A Beautiful, Terrible Thing by Jen Wei, which is also a messy divorce memoir, because when I'm writing, I tend to read nonfiction more than fiction. But another really great summer novel is Marrying the Ketchups by Jennifer Close. It has very short chapters, and I see it be like, just one more, just one more. It's like sips of alcohol, just one more till the end. So yeah, I think those would be my three recommendations. Oh, thank you very much, Catherine. I presume you're writing, are you writing something else for us? I'm working on a novel. It has a lot of old people in it and a lot of teenagers in it. You just like life now. It's either old people or teenagers. Well, I think that those two groups of people tend to be very hot-headed and make very crazy decisions. It's weird. Your parents become teenagers again. That's true. Thank you so much, Catherine, for being on the show. It's so lovely to speak to you. What's the time now where you are? 9.39 a.m. Great. Well, have a good day. (laughs) You too. Thank you so much for this. It was my pleasure.
Well, that was such a brilliant chat. Fascinating, in fact, with Catherine talking to her at home in Maryland. One of my favourite family trips was to America. Actually, the last time I went to America was uh, a big hurrah for my 50th birthday. And we drove across Chicago, Detroit, went through Michigan, Illinois, Ohio, all that they're called the flyover states. But that kind of brings us nicely, doesn't it, to our how to win travel section. Yes, yes. Uh, We're going to be tackling travel to mark big celebrations as one of the holidays we're looking at in this section of the show. This is the final outing of Postcards from Saw Days. For the past two episodes, we've been sharing exciting and unexpected travel ideas with the help of Saw Days Travel um, and all their super experienced travel guides. Now, this week, we're going to focus on these holidays. The Please Everyone holiday, Travels with Teens, Romantic Breaks, The Girls Getaway, we just did one, and Solo Travel, because 20% of you in our Saw Days survey told us you were planning to go away on your own in the next 12 months. That's brilliant, isn't it? And we'd also love to hear from you if, if you have or are planning to travel solo or if you've been inspired to book a trip to one of the destinations we've recommended over the last few weeks through all the giggling <laughs> and mispronunciations. Or maybe you've already been to some of the places and have extra tips to share. So do pop on over to our private Facebook group and post them on there. So um, I think we'll start with people pleasers, which could also be big hurrahs because it's about groups, isn't it, traveling together. And you always have to think about something for everyone so, to minimize the moaning, <laughs> the complaining. <laughs> Actually, I'm about to go on a please, everyone. I, I, have I told you about this, Lorraine? We're going to Northumberland. It's my in-law's 60th wedding anniversary. Isn't that amazing? They're both in their eight, mid-80s. Um, so we've got two mid-80s octogenarians. We've got four adults, four teens, and of course, Bridie the dog is coming too. So there's a lot. But we've got a, rented a lovely house. We're near a beach. There's a pub for the for Neil, obviously, has to have a pub. So I think that's going to work very well. My last big holiday with lots of people was uh, my 40th, uh, which we went to Cornwall. That's a very long time ago. Well, it was, but it was about 20 people. It was quite a, <laughs> that it was is kind big. of that thing, mm. isn't it? It's a conundrum, the big holiday or the, the big celebration, because it's about how to be together well and how to be apart well, because you can't yes. be together all the time. The, the things I remember are uh, one of my friend's husbands falling asleep on the sun lounger and we just left him. We all just went for lunch. And when we came back, he'd burnt the top of his knees off, <gasps> oh, both his no. knees. We had. <laughs> We nearly had to take him to a Oh, that bad. That bad. I think he was quite hung over. I remember a big row in the kitchen over a sandwich because there was a member of the party who should remain lameless who made a sandwich with one piece of bread, buttered it, layered it, cut it in half and offered that. And I was like, that's not a sandwich. And it it, it descended into a what is a sandwich. Anyway, so, you know. Oh, okay. I think... Maybe people were a bit fractious with all the the, the hangovers. (laughs) You have to factor that in as well, don't you? So where would you go? What have you got for me? Well, our Sordays experts are telling us that we should be thinking about Pembrokeshire. Where's that? (laughs) Is it Wales again? Of course it's Wales. Of course it's Wales. It's beautiful, stunning coastline um, area of the country. Lots of sweet villages, towns for shopping. But it's easy to get away from the crowds too. They have recommended Lairgub Beach House, which is one of their favourites, actually, to bring a gang at Sleep Six. And you can walk into Saundersfoot, apparently, for shops, pubs, cafes, or just kind of hang out looking at the glorious Atlantic. That's quite nice. Or, big celebration, big holiday, you could get a gîte in France's Loire Valley. 
lots of sunshine, lots of sea breeze, you've got chateaus, you've got wine tasting, you've got walking, you've got everything there. Um, Sordes recommend the Domaine de Belletre, uh, which is a property with three spaces to choose from, so it sleeps between four to eight people, which would work for a good celebration. So you could have them all, have them all, yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. that sounds nice. But if you want something that is really big and sleeps a lot more people, what about having your own private beach? Like it. That would be nice, wouldn't it? So uh, again, Sordes are recommending Wales, North Wales this time, and Tycock. How do I say that? I'm laughing. I, I'm not Welsh, so I don't know. I'm Cornish. I can say Tycock, and that's different. <laughs> I'm going to spell this, Lorraine. T-Y. Yeah. Next word, C-O-C-H. North Wales. Tycock in North Wales, which has got three cottages on the site and its own private beach. I mean, gorgeous uh, outdoor kitchen, a fire pit, uh, lots going on. So I quite like the sound of that if there's a whole huge gang of you. Now, they also recommend Sulcombe, which I can vouch for. It's a lovely party uh, place. It's got the harbour. I did the uh, Bantham Swoosh, which is near Sulcombe. Never been in such pretty villages. It's a lovely swim. Beaches, bars, boats, everything in Sorkham. Sordes recommend the recording studios, which is the former base for the legendary Led Zeppelin. Woohoo! <laughs> it's got a wine cooler, a hot tub, and there's stables below, so you could book both. And you can accommodate up to 18 guests. 18 guests. I feel like we should do that, Trish. Yeah. Um, and your walking distance from all the lovely uh, gin bars and restaurants and things as well. Can you imagine Led Zeppelin? Imagine Led Zeppelin. You could relive the Led Zeppelin days. Goodness knows. No, I wouldn't want to do that, Stairways to heaven, I would say. Where will you take your teens? Because they are tricky as hell, aren't they? Oh, that is tricky. The teenagers are tricky because you've got the younger teens who just need loads of activity and they want some independence as well. They start 13, 14, they start wanting to be able to go off and do things without mum and dad. Mm. And of course, if you don't know the area, you might be a bit worried about them. And then the older ones, of course, they're on a totally different time zone because yeah. they're in bed all day, aren't they? And you just wonder why you've bothered, paid to take them away <laughs> to this lovely place. I asked my teenage son what his favourite memory of our my 50th birthday trip to Sri Lanka was. And do you know what he said, Trish? The van from the airport had Wi-Fi in it. <laughs> that was his favourite memory of that holiday. Anyway... Sordes recommended a brilliant place, which I actually think we're going to go to. It's A-N-G-L-E-T, Anglet in France, which is known as Little California. So it's a little surfing place. Oh, oh, you love your surfing. Well, it does keep teenagers very occupied, mm. any kind of water sports. It's uh, quite near Biarritz and Bayonne. And they recommend a little villa called Eche Brie, which is a 1960s villa with a terrace and a pool. You can do all the sports. There's surf schools. There's lots of lessons, beginners to advanced. So it's one of the best places to surf on the Basque coast. Where are you going to take your teens? I'm fancying a little trip to España with the teens and um, to Alicante because it's very easy to fly there. And there's a beautiful house called Casita de Azulejos, which is a villa house in the centre of the old town, which apparently is very beautifully designed, gorgeous interiors to make you feel quite shishi. But of course, because you're in the town of Alicante, the teens can just head off. Lots to do there. There's a park, isn't there? Yeah, they can go to the beach um, and then you can get a bus to Valencia. So I think that would be a really nice little spot in the centre of a town. Very good for the teens. Now, if we were going to talk romantic holidays, oh, you went to Venice, didn't you, Trish? Tell me about that. Yes, I went last year. It was, I've been twice, actually. 
But last year, it was so gorgeous because we stayed on Venice Lido, which is not the main island, but the little island across from it. And it was just so beautiful because you could vaporetto into the city. It was much calmer where we were staying. And there was that beautiful beach where they filmed Death in Venice. You could, we, we'd go for a little swim, pre-breakfast swim in the mornings, Neil and I. And I just think that idea of just like a lovely bar, nice restaurants, maybe yeah. dress up, wander around a beautiful city, that's quite romantic to me. It's very romantic, isn't it? But what I didn't realise was that you could probably go to Venice by train, which is what Saul Days is suggesting. That would be romantic, wouldn't it? Never mind flying. A bit of train action would be lovely. And you can go through London, Paris, Nice, Milan, Rome, Florence and Venice. And Saul Days have got, and they will be on our special midlife landing page on the Saul Days website, some beautiful little bolt holes for two little romantic places in sort of untouristy areas, which I think uh, people will love. Now, I love the idea of exploring Europe by train. Uh, my daughter's about to do that. Um, she's having a little gap trip. It's not very long. Um, she doesn't get a gap year. But we know that some of our midlifers are having gap trips or gap years. And it is now so easy to get around Europe by train. Um, there's a new one going uh, to mm. Berlin from Paris, apparently. Now, they have recommended Sordes, a really great little route that trundles along the uh, Adriatic coast of Italy. The Adriatic coast of Marche. I don't know how to say that. That looks like a French-Italian word, doesn't it? And the weekend columnist, Ellie Pear, has written about it on the Sordes site. So that might be a little trip, train trip to explore. Shall we talk about girls' yes. getaways now, Trish? Because, you know, you can head off with your uni friends, your new friends, the Ooh. women you don't see very often. You have got... An idea in yes, Cumbria. Yes, I have. There's you? a place called Brownborough Hall in Cumbria. What's really nice, obviously it's a beautiful place, but um, you don't have to cook. I mean, who wants to cook on a girl's getaway? Certainly not us. May never at any point during the day. No, yes. Exactly. <laughs> and they um, they deliver you your fr own fresh sourdough pizza. How does that sound? And you can have private wine tastings. And Oof. it's just right near the Smardale Nature Reserve. Maybe you could do a triathlon with Karen from earlier. She did that in Cumbria, didn't she? It was beautiful. Like a little meerkat when you say private wine tasting, aren't you, Trish? Your little, little face pops up that, yes. I know, I love it. I perk up. Anyway, there's pubs, there's nature, there's pizza, and then you've got your girls with you. What more do you want? What about you? Where would you go? All four days recommend heading to uh, Spain, Alicante again. El Botanico de Sagra. Now, this sounds absolutely brilliant. This is a set of little brightly coloured villas with a tropical pool. It's adults only, so there's Whoa. no children. <laughs> yeah. And you can do yoga, Ayurvedic treatments, uh, 20 minutes drive away, scuba driving, kite surfing. Can't take you for your sticky hips with that, I don't think. <laughs> You can rent a boat or go wine tasting. I yeah. love the thought of that. Well, I think the wellness thing is really important, mm. isn't it, when you're either on a girl's getaway or when you're going solo. That's something, as we said earlier, that so many of you are talking about doing and wanting to do. I've done it once. I went to Cyprus for a long weekend on my own, rather bizarrely, but it was actually at the time when I was desperately trying to get pregnant and I really wasn't in a good place. And I went on this lovely long weekend, just me, a friend suggested it, and it really, really helped. And do you know what? Got pregnant quite quickly after that. Got me all prepped for that, which was oh, brilliant. I thought you so were going to say you got pregnant there. Oh. 
that's a better that, story, Trish. That would have been good, wouldn't it? But um, not sure how Neil might have felt about that. But there we go. There we go. Uh, but yes, it did the trick, shall we say. It relaxed me. I feel I feel like I, you know I need to do another one. Obviously, the the shop is shut in terms of getting pregnant, but um, there are plenty of solo adventures, aren't there? Yes, I've only ever done New York on my own. I've done that quite a few times. But then when I say on my own, it's really just to go out and see people on my own. I've never that been on my count. own ever That's cheating. under That's any cheating. circumstances at all yeah. because you know how I feel about being on my own. Do you know what Sordays recommend for on your own solo holidays? And I hadn't thought this and I think it's a really great idea. No. Bread and breakfast because usually at a bed and breakfast, big breakfast room and you're either sharing a table or bumping into fellow travellers. So I think you're sort of on your own but you've got support if you need it, you've got advice and usually the owner's are quite helpful and you might yeah. meet other women travelling alone. Nice. So I think that's a really good idea. They've recommended Bistro Lot in Froome, Froome Frome, I don't know how to say it, or Winterton in Argyle. Bed and breakfast, look into that if you're solo travel, yeah. Yes, a boutique B&B, I like the sound of that. Well, that was the last of our little travel instalments. We hope you enjoyed our chats and recommendations. Keep sharing your travel adventures because we love hearing about them on the Facebook group. And you can find details of all the destinations we mention and recommendations on the survey's website because they've put together a special section to help you make the most of your midlife adventures. Just go to sawdays.co.uk forward slash midlife travel. If you'd like to get in touch with Lorraine and I, there are plenty of ways that you can do it. Why not send us an email at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com or direct message us at postcardsfrommidlife on Instagram. We always enjoy hearing from you, our lovely listeners, and we'll respond to as many of your queries as we can. And you can also join us on our private Facebook group, which is a forum for women to discuss the issues that affect us as we navigate this midlife. All you have to do to join is answer three of young Trisha's questions to gain access to the group, where you'll find information and friendly support to help you make the most of your second act. We've reached Nostalgia Noodle. Now, Trish, on the Facebook group, I saw a picture before I read the words, white musk perfume. Oh, my goodness. And it took me back to the 90s. Well, I guess it's kind of the late... Well, no, I suppose 80s, yeah. It's an early 80s. In early 80s to mid 80s when I was a teenager. You oh. you couldn't encounter a woman, a teenager, who wasn't wearing white, no, some form exactly. of white musk perfume. Yeah. And underneath the post, there were so many women saying, oh my God, it's the smell of my youth. Yeah, it's the body shop, isn't it? I think the body shop just changed everything, didn't it, for us? It was just like, it was such a revelation. And white musk, I think I can still smell it now. I just, I'm, I'm going to have to go and find some and have a sniff because I'd be very disappointed if it doesn't. What do you think is your favourite perfume now? Because for us, it's a tricky thing, isn't it? Because we are we we have been mired in the beauty world for a very long time. So we've been, yes. we've been flown around the world for perfume launches, haven't we? <laughs> I was remembering CK1. I think that's probably oh, that was still my favourite. Is it? Would you wear? You don't wear that now, though. No, I don't, because I felt like I keep feeling undone. I love Chanel Number no. Five. That's the, yeah. that's the other one. But I like the slightly more um, sharper ones. I guess more masculine. We had Byredo yeah. made a perfume for me when I uh, for my birthday when I was at. Uh, <laughs> Elle. Oh, of course they did. And do you know what it was called on the front? Big shouty shower. I'm a genius. Oh, 
Still got the bottle. That's lovely. We probably couldn't afford that, though, if these days in the real no. world, could we? <laughs> no, we could perfume. No. I like a bit of Chanel. This is not an advert for Chanel, can we just say, but I like their Les Exclusives collection of perfumes. I like 1932, which is a very important year. I like the pronunciation. It was vaguely <laughs> right, Trish. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to that. Maybe a bit of a long issue. We've done books. We've done travel. We've done perfume. We've done everything, haven't we, Trish? So We've done everything. We've done jet washing. We've done a lot. Power spraying. It's time to say goodbye. Goodbye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.